Um, I realize we're having some technical difficulties and maybe my voice sounds funny or you're only hearing so many words. I would just encourage you, turn up the volume. We're going to get through it. I've shortened down the content a little bit. We're going to make it through. I want to say two things as I begin. First of all, today registration is open for our online Bible club. Traditionally, we do a vacation Bible school here at the church facility at another place here in this community maybe, but we're going to do it all online. We're calling it our online Bible club, and the theme is the great adventure. We'd encourage you to register today. I don't believe there's any cost. It's free. You sign up, and we'll make sure that you are in the online Bible club. It's coming out a little later on in the summer in August. You can find it on our events page, on our website, or on our church app. I'd encourage you to look into that. And then secondly, I want to say, since we have this maritime bubble, and since restrictions are opening up more and more. We're really excited about that. I would encourage you to host a watch party. We're not quite ready to have live gatherings here in our facility quite yet. I hope you're filling out that survey to let us know what you think and how you feel. But why don't you host it in your home? Have some people over from your life group, invite over some neighbors, some friends, some family, and watch the church service together. That's, I think that's a great idea. So, We are in week number two of Upside Down. It's our five-part sermon series on the countercultural teachings of Jesus Christ. Jesus is a master teacher, and many of the truths that he had to say counter our culture in such a crazy way that we've called this sermon series Upside Down. Uh, Last week, Steve opened up this brand new series by talking about the Sermon on the Mount. And in three beautiful chapters of scripture, Jesus, in his Sermon on the Mount, he takes all of the Jewish customs and traditions, and he basically flips their whole cultural value system on its head. (laughs) We call it the upside-down kingdom. Now, this week, we're going to look at a particularly difficult teaching. It's in Luke chapter 9, so I would encourage you to turn there. And in Luke chapter 9, verse 23, here's what Jesus has to say about following him, about being his disciple. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Have you realized in life, there's, there's this funny thing. There's always a catch. <laughs> Have you realized that? There's a cost to everything. Have you ever seen those infomercials? For five easy payments of $39.95, we'll even cut off the final payment. Hey, if you call in in the next 24 hours, we will send it out, express delivery, and wait, there's more. We'll throw in a second spatula that won't let you burn your eggs on the frying pan if you just throw in another this much money, and we'll cut off this much percent, and you'll have it at your door just next week. You've seen commercials like that, right? Or what about this one? When you're walking through the store, this one bugs me. I have so many pet peeves. The band is slapping their knees because I told them to laugh at my jokes because the jokes are going to be bad today. They're going to be bad. But do you know, a pet peeve of mine is when you're walking through a store and there's a product on the shelf and above it has this beautiful big red or big yellow letters. It says, save X amount, save $50. And I have this conversation with my wife all the time. I say, you're not actually saving 
$50. Like when you buy that product, they're not actually going to write you a check and deposit $50 into your savings account. That's not how it works. What it means is you don't have to spend an additional $50. When you pay $300, you're not actually saving the $50. You're just not spending an additional $50. Anyway, that's enough of my pet peeves. What I want to point out is there is a cost to everything. Uh, Pastor Andy Stanley is down in Atlanta, Georgia. He preached a sermon last month called Don't Settle for Christian. How's that for a catchy title? Don't Settle for Christian. And here's what he had to say. Becoming a Christian is really easy. It's free. And that's the gospel message that we preach here at Faith Baptist Church. To step into a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, to have your sins forgiven, to have a home in heaven, to have God your Father adopt you as a child, to have all of your past erased, and to be given new life, it's free. The debt's been paid. To become a Christian is relatively easy. You just receive it from God. But Andy Stanley says there's a difference between following Jesus and believing in Jesus. Believing in Jesus won't cost you anything, but following Jesus is always going to cost you something. And then he's got this really great quote. It says, the ones it costs the most are the ones who made the most difference. Following Jesus is always going to cost you something. So today, in our series called Upside Down, the Countercultural Teachings of Jesus, we're going to talk about the cost of following Jesus. Would you join me in prayer as we begin this morning? Father God, I just want to praise you so much for who you are. God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the truth of this scripture, not just contained in it, but the very words of it are absolute truth. And we want to praise you for the inspiration of your word. God, thank you that I'm not standing up here pretending to know some answers or to know some stuff about stuff, but I'm standing up here to talk about, to interpret, and to imply your holy word. God, we thank you for who you are today. God, we pray that whatever cost there is in following you, we would come under the realization that it pales in comparison to the price that you paid for us. Jesus, thank you for who you are. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to be in Luke chapter 9, as I mentioned. And in Luke chapter 9, I just want to give you some of the storyline, some of the context, and then we're going to dig into our key verse, the key teaching from Jesus about the cost to following him. Now, when the chapter opens, Luke chapter 9 and verse 1, Jesus is sending out the 12 disciples on kind of a missions trip. And as he's sending them out, he gives them two things. I want you to catch this. If you're taking notes, write this down. He gives them two things. He gives them power and he gives them authority. Before Jesus sends out the 12, he gives them his power and then he gives them his authority. But notice what Jesus doesn't give them and doesn't allow them to take. I find this really humorous, and I hope you enjoy this too. Look at verse 3 of Luke chapter 9. Jesus tells the disciples as he's sending them out on this trip, take nothing. Now, I don't know about you. We're talking about upside down, kind of backwards, you know, to our culture. This seems like bad advice to me. If you're going on a trip, you should prepare for your trip. 
you should take something. Jesus tells them, take nothing for your journey. Don't take a staff, like a walking stick. Uh, Don't take a bag. No check baggage, just carry-ons. No bread. Don't take any food. No money. This seems like really bad advice. Are you with me? This seems like bad advice. If you didn't know this was Jesus saying this, you'd be saying, that's bad advice. Don't take any bread. Don't take any money. And do not have two tunics. Now, we don't use that term tunic today, but the tunic was the clothing that people would wear under their clothes against their skin. Do you know what I'm talking about? I'm talking about underwear. Jesus says, don't even take an extra pair of underwear. And the band's not laughing at my jokes. I told you my jokes, they were going to be terrible today. He says, don't even take an extra pair of underwear. Now, I'm a young parent, and I've realized time and time again by making this mistake, make sure you bring extra diapers. Make sure you bring a change of clothes. Make sure you bring extra snacks. Make sure you bring more than you need. We were just on a trip to a wedding in New Brunswick. We packed the back of the SUV. We didn't use half of the stuff, but we had it. We were prepared. If anything happened, I think we had something to take care of the situation. But Jesus tells them, take nothing. Don't even take an extra pair of underwear. It's in the Bible. You can read it right here. These disciples get back from their journey. They've gone through towns. They've gone through villages. They've been preaching and proclaiming the kingdom of God. It's here. Jesus is here. Through Jesus' authority, they're proclaiming the kingdom of God. Through his power, they're healing people. And then they come back to Jesus. And Jesus says, come away with me to Bethsaida. Now, does anybody know what Bethsaida is? What does Bethsaida mean? If you know what it means, write it in the chat because we're going to talk about it in a moment. But this is going to be a tongue twister for me because on Father's Day, I talked about the lame man at the pool of Bethesda. Now we're talking about a place called Bethsaida. So I'm going to get them mixed up and I apologize for that. But you remember Bethesda meant house of mercy. Do you remember that? And the lame man wanted to be healed by the pool, the water, but instead he was healed by the living water, Jesus Christ, who healed the full man, not just his legs. And then we talked about Bethlehem means house of bread. Bethel means house of El, house of God. What does Beth say to me? Does anybody know? If you know, put it in the chat, put it in the comments. But there in Bethsaida, the 12 disciples and Jesus. They're traveling into this community. They're up on the hillside and people begin seeing them. Hey, that's Jesus. That's the one who teaches with authority. That's the one who heals with power. Let's go see him. So all these crowds of people start to gather. The Bible says that there was 5,000 men, not to mention women and children. I heard one speaker say it could have been upwards of 20,000 people. But regardless of the number, there are a ton of people there to see Jesus, to be healed by Jesus, to hear Jesus, the master teacher, and what he had to say. Now, keep in mind, the disciples just got back from a trip where they weren't allowed to take an extra pair of underwear, no extra food, no extra money. How do you think they're feeling at this moment? The disciples come to Jesus and they say, look, Jesus, we just got back from this long trip. Do you remember? You told us to take nothing for our journey. We made it back. We're celebrating with you. Now we've spent this whole day with thousands of people and you're healing them. You're teaching. You're helping them. Look, 
Here's what they say. The day is wearing long. Can't you just like feel the exhaustion in that statement? The day is wearing long. And they say, Jesus, would you just send them home into the surrounding villages so they can get a good night's sleep in their own bed and they can get some good food to eat and maybe they can come back tomorrow and we can resume then? Like, don't you think we've done enough? And Jesus looks at the disciples and he says, you give them something to eat. I love that. They just got back from a trip where Jesus said, don't take any extra food. And now Jesus is saying, could you cater an event for 5,000 people in a moment's notice? (laughs) When the restrictions opened up just three weeks ago, my brother-in-law and now sister-in-law decided to get their wedding planned. And in two weeks time, they had it all planned and we celebrated with them last night. I can't imagine being the disciples and in a moment's notice, They're supposed to feed 5,000 men, not to mention women and children. So here's what they do. I assume they rally together, guys, what do we have? Uh, We've got five breadsticks. We've got two fish fillets. That's all we've got. So they go to Jesus and they say to Jesus, here's what it says. We have no more than five loaves of bread and two fish. No more than. What they thought they had, they thought it was insignificant but they didn't realize that that little insignificant amount that they had was much in the hands of God. Little is much when God is in it. Jesus says, give it to me. And then he gives us this beautiful picture. Jesus takes the bread. He looks up to heaven where our help comes from, where our provision comes from, where our supply comes from, and he breaks the bread. In communion, we know the breaking of bread is the picture of Jesus' broken body in our place on the cross. He breaks the bread, he blesses it, and then he hands it out to his disciples who hand it out to the crowds. Isn't that a picture of the Great Commission? I mean, from heaven, Jesus' body broken for us, to the apostles, to the world. The Great Commission, the gospel message of Jesus. Well, they hand out all this bread and all this fish. Five loaves of bread, two fish. And if you've been around church for any time, you know the rest of this story. Everybody eats and they're all satisfied. Thousands of people with five breadsticks and two fish. (laughs) But here's the best part. Watch this. It says, when they had all had enough, they collected all the leftover pieces. And guess how much there was? There was 12 baskets full. How many disciples were there? 12. What does Bethsaida mean? Did anybody put it in the chat? Ben, did you notice anybody putting it in the chat? Did anybody know what Bethsaida meant? Bethsaida means the house of fish. I never knew that. The house of fish. They're in the place known for having fresh fish and they can only find two fish. Isn't that incredible? That blew my mind. I wish you were here to yell and hoot and holler and be excited with me because in the place of fish, they couldn't find enough fish. Here's the principle. You can go anywhere in this world and you can get the best delicacies of whatever this world has to offer and it will still leave you feeling hollow in your soul. They're in the place of fish and there's not enough fish. Isn't that just like our world today? We're gonna talk about that in just a moment. But that's the context to where we're at in our story today. But did you see the exchange in those two stories? When Jesus sent them out, he gave them his power and authority, and he didn't allow them to take an extra pair of underwear. Let's take a little poll. 
Would you rather today have an extra pair of underwear and some food and money? Or would you rather have Jesus' authority and power? Like, come on, look at that exchange. And then look at the breadsticks and fish. When it was in their hands, it was insignificant. It wasn't enough. It was limited. When they put it into the hands of the master teacher, it became more than enough. And the leftovers were more than what the disciples originally came to Jesus with. How many times will it take us to realize this principle? That if we try and hold on to what we have, if we try and pack our bags enough so that no matter the situation, we in our own supply, in our own provision, in our own strength, have what we need, whatever come our way. But if we would just give it to Jesus, if we would just give it to Jesus, we would have more than enough. We would have strength for the journey. We would have power, authority, and provision if we would just give it to Jesus. And then Jesus makes this really weird turn, this really strange segue. Like picture the scene. The disciples are coming back from their trip. They're excited. The thousands of people have just been fed. They're excited. And then Jesus says this. This is strange. Are you ready? This is upside down. Luke chapter 9 and verse 22. He says, the son of man must suffer and be rejected and be killed, and on the third day be raised. Now just picture this scene. Jesus, we just experienced your power to heal. Jesus, we just experienced your authority in proclaiming the kingdom of God. Jesus, we just saw your limitless provision as you fed thousands of people. What are you talking about? Like, How do we go from fame and power and authority and all of these people gathering around and you're going to be rejected and you're going to suffer and you're going to die? Jesus didn't come to be served. He came to serve. He came to give his life a ransom for many. And Jesus is inviting them into the reality of his mission as to why he came to earth. He's telling them, look, if you're going to follow me, This is my destination. This is my journey. This is my mission. And then Jesus goes even further because Jesus tends to go even further, doesn't he? He cuts right to the heart. See, he's talking about himself and his mission. And then he turns the focus to everybody else. Look at what Jesus says in verse 23. If anyone would come after me, who? If you were here, you'd say anyone, right? Just throw it in the chat if, you know, if you're not here. If anyone would come after me, that means to follow him, to be a disciple of him, to be a learner of him, not just a fan on the sidelines, but a follower of Jesus. Let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. Now, wouldn't that weed out a lot of people who are just there for the free food? (laughs) Like I've been to a lot of events in my day where there were a lot of people who were just there for the free food. I've gone to events for free food. How many people do you think were there sticking around following Jesus because when's the next time he's going to have a fish fry and hand out fish and chips? I want to be there when that happens. But instead Jesus says, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. Crazy countercultural. This is probably the most countercultural, difficult statement that Jesus ever makes in scripture about discipleship, about following him. 
This gives us such insight to what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus. There is a cost to following Jesus. Have you counted that cost? Have you considered that cost? You know, this is so countercultural. You think about our culture, you think about our society, you think about media, you think about marketing. I mean, we're, we're on social media right now. Maybe you're watching on Facebook. What's Facebook all about? Well, it's about you and your face. It's a whole book about your face. You put your picture on the front. You make all your own comments. You let your opinion be known. You do your likes, your dislikes, your follows, your unfollows, your friends, your unfriend. It's all about you. What about MySpace? Like, just read the name, my space. What about YouTube? So many of you are watching on YouTube. Did you realize that you is in the name of YouTube? That it was designed so that you could promote yourself? Like, come on. Think about any commercial out there. It's all about you, you, you. Think about McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. I'm loving it. Thank you, band. I knew. See, if I throw some melody in there, they'll jump right in. I just need to do more than that. I'm loving it. It's all about me. Culture is all about you. And Jesus says, deny yourself. Now, when Jesus says, deny yourself, he doesn't mean take a break from Facebook, take a break from YouTube, take a break from fast food, just fast from all the stuff. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, don't deny stuff, deny self. You know, you can, you can deny all the stuff until there's no stuff left to deny and you'll still be left with yourself. <laughs> Do you realize that? What he means is deny yourself, deny your cravings, deny your hopes, your dreams, your goals, your passions, your values, deny them and replace them with mine. Deny yourself that seat on the throne of your life and instead, the language we use in church is make Jesus the Lord of your life. Give Jesus that seat, that authority. So instead of asking the question, what do I want? We ask, what does Jesus want? You remember that bracelet, WWJD? What does Jesus want? Deny yourself. And then it says, take up your cross. Now that has totally lost its meaning in our culture today. It's not meaning uh, buy a necklace with a cross on it or a chain or get a cross tattooed. All those things are great. It's not about the stuff. It's about self. In that day, taking up your cross was a one-way trip. If you saw somebody taking up their cross, you knew they weren't going to be back. Taking up a cross meant shame, embarrassment, and it was a death sentence. It was a death sentence. Jesus says, deny yourself. And then a modern translation would be, die to yourself. Now, I'm not talking about suicide. I'm not talking about murder. I'm talking about dying to your self-centeredness. You see, when we trust Christ as Savior, in a moment, in a one-time decision, we are forever changed. Our name is written in the Lamb's book of life. Jesus is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. He gives us the gift of the Holy Spirit, our stamp, our seal, until the day of redemption. But when we follow Jesus, that's a daily decision where we wake up every day, daily, 
and choose to die to ourselves. You see, that old self, that old life, that natural carnal man, we have died to him and we have come alive to Christ. We have died to ourselves so that in Christ we can have his abundant life for us. And do it daily. What a good habit it would be if you woke up every morning and you said or sang or prayed or thought something like this. Jesus, today is your day. I'm giving up control. And I'm inviting you to take control and be Lord of my life this day. Daily, I'm going to die to my selfish cravings and what I think I want. And I'm going to come alive to who you are. And what you want for me. Your purposes. Your plans for my life. That's what it means to deny yourself. To die to yourself. And to follow Jesus. I didn't know if I was going to say this story or not. But it came to mind. So I'm going to let you know. I was in Walmart the other day. Because I like pain. (laughs) I like torture. If you don't have to go to Walmart these days. Don't go to Walmart. In fact, don't shop at all. Just shop online. I don't know. But I was in Walmart and I'm trying to follow the arrows and I'm trying to do everything right. There's so much pressure, isn't there? I was in one aisle and my wife made me a grocery list. Bless her heart. And I'm trying to follow it. And I'm in the aisle and I know there's something else on the list I have to get before I get out of that aisle. But all the people are backing up behind me and I don't know where to find this thing. You know, it's just pressure. So I get to the very end and at the end of the list is drawer liners. Do you know what drawer liners are? It's like that sticky yoga mat material. You cut it to fit your drawers so that your cutlery doesn't slide all over the place when you open and close. I don't know. Maybe that's just some weird thing my family does. But I didn't know where to find it at Walmart. I had no idea. So I asked a Walmart employee. And Walmart has this incredible policy that when you ask them where something is, they take you to it. That's incredible. We need to do that in our church services. When somebody needs something, when somebody wants something, I will take you there. Follow me. Take your shopping cart and follow after me, right? So she starts leading me towards the drawer liners. I'm pushing my shopping cart. But you got to know something about me. I'm impatient. And it's a problem. Uh, And I'm working on it. And God's grace is for me too. But I'm following this Walmart employee and she's going so slow. Like, I can't even demonstrate how slow. And I'm, I'm at the end of my list. It's already taken me twice as long. I've got like 10 other things to do that day. So I put my shopping cart, you know, the aisles that run from the front of the store to the back, they have two lanes. So I, I get in the other lane, the passing lane, and I pass her. And I'm in front of her. And uh, I get in front of her. She's going to be showing me to where the product is. So I just glance over my shoulder to make sure she hasn't turned in an aisle. And I'm just watching behind me because she's so slow and I can't wait for her. And if she's watching, I'm just kidding about all this. You did a great job. I didn't pass her. How ridiculous would that be? Because she's the one leading me to where I need to go. So why would, I, why would I try and take control and guide myself where I think I need to go when what I need to do is ask her to lead me where I need to go? How many times... Do we try and jump in front of Jesus and try and show him the rate, the speed, the pace, the direction? And then once in a while, we glance over our shoulders to see if he's still following behind or if he's course corrected. Follow after me. Deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow after me. All right, I don't know where we're at in the notes. I don't know if you can hear me at home, but we're just having fun this morning. The band and I, we're having fun this morning, so it's all good. 
All right, Jesus goes on to say, verse 24, for whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. Talk about upside down. Losing your life to save it, saving your life to lose it. (laughs) Doesn't that seem backwards to you? It seems backwards to me. I'm, call me frugal, call me cheap, but I like to save my money. I don't like to spend my money. I like to save my money to gain my money, not spend my money to lose my money. But do you know what I found out in life? In those seasons where I'm trying to hold on and I'm trying to gain and I'm trying to save and I'm watching the interest build up and my hands are closed, I find more need and more scarcity and more want in my life than in any other season. And in those times where by God's grace, he allows me to open my hands and to actually give some of what he's blessed me with, I see more blessing. I see less need. I see God be faithful time and time again in my life. He's never left us wanting. How many times do we try and hold on to something when actually the holding on to it is what's causing us to lose it. I've told this story before, but there's two men in a boat. They're fishing. One's a good swimmer. One is terrified of the water. I mean, he's holding on. He's not even using his fishing pole. He's so scared. It ends up, the boat tips upside down. The better swimmer swims up out of the water. He looks around. His buddy's nowhere to be seen. He waits, he waits, nobody. So he swims back under and here's his friend who's terrified of the water sitting on the boat upside down, holding on for all he's worth because the boat was what was keeping him above the water. But now it's what's holding him under the water. And I'm pretty sure that's where the story ends. What are you holding on to in this life, thinking that it's going to give you life, but in the end, holding on to it makes you lose your life. Lose your life so you'll save it. Don't save your life because then you'll lose it. And then Jesus goes a little bit further. This is the second time he said four. So these are kind of his purpose statements. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world? And loses or forfeits himself, loses his own soul. You can go online, you can watch celebrity after celebrity talk about a life of riches and lavish. I've seen Jim Carrey's life story. He was the highest paid actor of the 90s. And then I've seen Tom Brady's life story. I mean, all those Super Bowl rings. He's married to a supermodel. I mean, cars, houses. These guys have it all. And then in their interviews, they say, it's lonely. It's depressing. I've come all this way. What more is there to get? I've achieved it all. And they get to the end of everything this world has to offer. And they find it hollow and shallow and empty. What are you spending your life on? Here's a thought. Right now, at this very moment, as you're watching this, you are spending your life. Do you realize that? There's another second gone. Another minute gone. An hour gone. Every time you get in the car, every time you go to work, every time you pick up the phone, you are spending your life on something. You're going to get to the end of your life and you will have spent your life on something. So when Jesus says, deny yourself, take up your cross, he is saying the cost is your life. But what else would you spend your life on? I was trying to think of examples. If you put all your time and attention and energy and money into your car collection, you are spending your life on your car collection. Do you realize that? As as I was thinking of examples this morning, my iPhone uh, gave me this little, can we zoom in on that? Should I walk in? 
My iPhone gave me this little update. I'm sorry, I'm putting you guys to the test right here. Oh, that's Faith Baptist Church on YouTube. You should subscribe to Faith Baptist Church on YouTube. Can you see that? I don't know if you can read it on your screen, but it says weekly report. The iPhone gives you a weekly report. And today it says uh, you average one hour, 21 minutes of screen time per day this week. How ridiculous is that? I have spent an hour and 21 minutes on average on this phone this week. All right, I'm going to adjust here. I'm going to throw you guys all off. Look at that. Thank you, tech team. You know, when COVID-19 became a reality, when the NS shootings took place, there was a week in there uh, where my phone gave me this report. And it always comes on Sunday morning before the service. It's like the iPhone knows that Sunday's the day where we focus on God and it just wants to remind us that, hey, I'm here, I'm in your pocket. But one week during COVID-19, I think it was right around the NS shootings, I was using my phone a lot. You guys are probably using your technology a lot. And I think it said at the end of that week, Sunday morning came and it said, your screen time is up an average of like 200 and some percent. It was over four hours a day on my phone, four hours a day. You are spending your life on something. Do you realize that? You get to the end of the day and you spent that day doing something. You're spending your life. What else could you spend your life on? Than Jesus, the one who spent his life for you. Uh, John Piper says, We are so liable to find our pleasures and our satisfactions in places other than God. Have you found that to be true? Your pleasure, your satisfaction, you look for it elsewhere. Maybe Beth say to the house of fish, you try and find the best fish they have to offer and it's just found wanting. But John Piper says, Jesus tells us giving up the lesser good for the greater. He encourages us, give up the lesser good for the greater. And sin is just the opposite. Giving up the greater good for the lesser. What if those disciples held on to those five loaves of bread and those two fish because we've been on a trip. We didn't have any extra money. We didn't have any extra food. We didn't even have a second pair of underwear. Now we have this food. We're not going to give up this food. We would have no story of the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000 if they hadn't have been willing to give up what little they had. How often do we hold on to the lesser things of this life in exchange for the greater things that God has for us? This little 75 years or whatever it is compared to the incredible weight of glory in eternity. How do we keep that focus? Here's the thing. Can I be honest? Is that okay? I know I've asked that question in church services before and you've laughed, but how many times do people stand up on a stage and they don't be transparent or tell you what's going on? I want to do that today. I'm scared. I am worried. I am concerned. I am afraid. And I want to tell you why. Call it a lack of faith. Maybe pastors should never be scared. Maybe they should have faith for everything. But here's why I'm scared. When this whole COVID-19 thing came out, Everybody's schedules cleared in an instant. Did you notice that? Your schedule cleared, my schedule cleared, everybody's schedules cleared of their normal activities, right? All the volunteering, all the engagement you've been doing in the local church, in your community, sports, activities, maybe you've been laid off, your schedule cleared. But what I'm realizing and coming to grips with is nobody is sitting at home 
keeping those spaces open in their schedule, are they? Are you? I'm not. I have an opening in my schedule. I'm going to do something with it. And who gets first dibs? (laughs) Me, right? I am scared that when COVID-19 becomes something in the past and the new normal just becomes the normal, and we're gathering in here in person again, and we get to open up Journey Kids, and we get to have events in the community, and we get to tell people the gospel in person instead of across the screen, that when it comes time for that core value of engagement, for calling people out, for calling people up, for deploying soldiers in Jesus' army, that you're going to be too busy. That I'm going to be too busy. Because all those gaps that we used to spend in our schedule for Jesus, for his work, for Faith Baptist Church, for the ministry here in Colchester County and abroad, maybe you've filled them up with you. Maybe I've filled them up with me. And I am genuinely scared that we're not going to have time when it comes time for Jesus to be his hands and feet. Look at your schedule. Is Jesus a priority? Look at your bank account. Look at your credit card statement. Is Jesus a priority? Think about the conversations that you've had with the people on your street in the last month. Is Jesus a priority in your life? Are you denying yourself, taking up his cross under his banner, under his authority? Are you reorganizing your life around him in your schedule, in your money, in your time? Or has yourself, your selfish self-centeredness, just like my self-centeredness, crept its way back into the throne room of your life? I want to encourage you today. If the Holy Spirit is pushing in on your heart through the technology issues, through the broken audio and all that stuff, if the Holy Spirit is grabbing attention of your heart, because you've let yourself crept back on the throne of your heart. You need to confess that. You need to deny yourself. You need to die to your selfish desires. And you need to invite Jesus back to be Lord of your life. You never lost your salvation. Jesus never left you. The Holy Spirit never departed from you. Your name was not erased from the Lamb's book of life. You are saved. You are a child of God, but maybe you're not walking in fellowship with Jesus the way you did before your schedule was cleared. I want to encourage you. Take a look at your schedule. Take a look at your bank statement. Take a look at the conversations you've been having. Is Jesus at the center of your life? Is he Lord of your life? Are you willing to pay the price to follow Jesus and to let him lead you? I just want to end by reading the final verses of Luke chapter 9. And it points out some of the things that we've been discussing. If you look at Luke chapter 9, starting in verse 57, here's what it says. As they were going along the road, the disciples and Jesus, they're on that journey. Someone said to Jesus, I will follow you. Wherever you go, Jesus said, foxes have holes, birds have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. Would you follow me if it meant giving up your bed, if it meant giving up your home, if it meant giving up your friends? Luke 9, 59, to another, he said, follow me. But the man replied, Lord, let me first. Don't miss that. Let me first. Go and bury my father. 
I don't think his father had passed yet. I think his father was in the twilight years of his life and he wanted to spend the rest of the years of his father's life with his father before his father passed. Right now's not a good time is what this man is saying. And Jesus is saying, look, if I'm not first in your life, then you're not my follower. You're not my disciple. You're not following me. Jesus said, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Verse 61, yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. Just let me throw a party first. Let me make sure that I say all my goodbyes to all my friends. Let me make sure I have my bags packed. Let me make sure I have an extra pair of underwear. Right now is not a good time. Just give me some time to sow my wild oats, get life figured out. And then later on, I'll follow you, Jesus. Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. So I want to ask you today, have you counted the cost? Is following Jesus worth spending your life on? Only you can make that decision. I can't make it for you. I wish I could because I would tell you that time and time again, when I have by God's grace made the decision to make Jesus the Lord of my day, my week, my month, my years, it has always been more than worth it. Is Jesus Lord of your life today? Deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow him. I'd like to end in a word of prayer and then we have another song from the band. I want to thank you so much for joining in today. If, if you have any questions, if you want to talk any further about the content today, if you want to discuss more of what it means to make Jesus the Lord of your life, to follow him, to spend your life in this pursuit of God's plans and purposes through Jesus Christ for you, I would love to talk to you. Just reach out to me. My email is josh at sharethejourney.ca. Please reach out. I would love to have that conversation with you. Let me pray for you as we end this sermon this morning. God, I want to thank you so much for who you are. God, I think of those who may have been tuning in today and participating in this service. God, I think of the mom who's at home with her kids, who just longs for purpose, for plan, for schedule, for adult conversations. God, I pray you'd be near and dear to her today. Show her that your plans and purposes for her life are real and that you are inviting her to make you Lord of her life. God, I think of the father who's been working all week and his hands are sore, his back is sore and he's thinking, I've just got to do this another week and tomorrow morning starts another week and I'm not interested in doing the same thing for another week. God, I pray that you would help him to understand that you want to be Lord of his life, to give him new plans, new purposes, new goals, new values. God, I pray for the teenager out there who's so confused and anxious and stressed about the future, who misses their friends, who doesn't know what to do about college next year. God, I pray that you would encourage them that their plans, their hopes, their dreams, whatever they think this life can offer them or whatever they can accomplish pales in comparison of what you can accomplish if they put the little bit of their skills and talents and energy and life into your hands. You can multiply it and you can change multitudes. 
God, we thank you so much for who you are. Thank you that you wish to be Lord of our life. Thank you that you are our Savior. Thank you that you have given us forgiveness. Thank you that you have given us new life, new goals, new purposes. Thank you that you are the master teacher who flipped cultural norms on their head and upside down. God, we pray that we would be countercultural, that we would be decidedly different, that when the world looks at us, they wouldn't just see people who sit in a building one day a week. They wouldn't just see people who tune in online one day a week, but they would see people whose lives, passions, purposes, and plans are totally rearranged and reoriented around your son, Jesus Christ, at the center of their life. God, I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.